Brazilian should not be super worried about their ideas. I think they should find ways of sharing them in the efforts of making their place better. I think when you do that, you're in, you're more engaged. You feel like you're really doing something for your residency program as well. Welcome to the Solving Resident Burnout podcast, created by resident Dr. Daniel Orlovich for interns, residents, fellows, and yes, programs too. Designed to discuss real barriers from the front line and offer practical solutions. No stuffiness, no whining, no mandatory lectures, no glazing over the real issues, no wellness guru talk, just a casual conversation about real issues affecting residents and practical solutions. Today's guest is Dr. L.A. Alvarez. If you've ever wondered to yourself, do wellness activities really need to be mandatory? If you ever thought to yourself, can we be more open with the mistakes we make throughout the day? If you've ever considered the fact that maybe there's a better way to make changes at the program level, and how do I do that? Then you're really going to enjoy this podcast episode. Dr. L.A. Alvarez, MD, F-A-C-E-P, F-A-A-E-M, is an assistant clinical professor in emergency medicine and assistant program director in the Stanford Emergency Medicine Residency Program. Dr. Alvarez focuses on the interdependence of residency well-being with performance improvement in the patient experience, quality, and patient safety. Dr. Alvarez is also the co-chair of Stanford WellMD's Physician Wellness Forum and is one of the peer supporters for the WellMD's Physician Resource Network support for faculty and trainees. Dr. Alvarez has given several grand rounds and national conference lectures and workshops on relevant topics in gratitude and compassion, physician well-being, burnout, the imposter syndrome, as well as increasing leadership capacity and mentorship to enhance diversity and inclusion. Dr. Alvarez works on recruitment and faculty, graduate, and undergraduate medical education with a special interest in finding ways to increase diversity and inclusion in medicine. He highly recommends, and I endorse, practicing self-compassion. Tell me a little bit, what was kind of the idea behind this asynchronous learning? So I think we wanted to make sure that we have some time for our residents to really focus on taking care of themselves as well. And the more we thought about it, we realized that your wellness is, is completely different with my wellness and, and the next resident's wellness and, and how they define that and how they go about addressing that. And so prescriptive things like we should require you to show up to a conference on on well-being or meditation, it's not really as helpful. And in some ways, inhibiting to those residents who really all they need to do is they need to do laundry and they've been putting it off and, and it's been stuck in their mind and it's been worrying them, but yet there's all these other demands that's happening. And so, so that's one aspect of it. We also understand that at Stanford, we're fortunate because the residents have at least one hour sessions per month that's free, confidential that's offered to them for that mental health care. And we wanted to align that with the different aspects of the requirements for residency in terms of the conference attendance. And so what we thought was, well, if there's 12 hours of free mental health checks for residents available throughout the year, maybe we can convert those into 12-hour credits, asynchronous credit, that the residents will be able to use. And then we took away, like, again, the idea is there's no one size fits all solution to addressing well-being and burnout. 
And so really we, we allowed the residents to figure out what they need at that moment, reflect on it. We also created a stopgap so that it's not being abused. And so they can do as many asynchronous learning as they want, but we'll only credit 12, 12 hours. And the idea behind that is that if you do certain things as part of your habits, then it really just becomes part of your practice, your daily practice, right? So let's say meditation. If we just give you five days to focus on meditation, after five days and you've been doing meditation every day, it's actually fairly easy to just continue doing that habit. And so what we realized is that residents started writing down. So so there's a nice narrative piece to this. Like residents would start writing down what they were doing and, and really sharing. And when you look at the data that, that we were getting, some residents felt that teaching EMTs and paramedics, emergency medicine, basic things, is their way of addressing burnouts. It's, it's yeah. their way of getting connection. And then some people just wanted to hang out and some people wanted to go surfing, right? So again, it highlights that differences in, in residents' perspective on what they need at that very moment. Yeah, I love it. Because like, if you would have had a surfing day, you're going to alienate some people. But if you would have had a day where you had you know teaching EMTs, that would have looked terrible, it would have been bad optics, right? But I love how you said, like, it's not one size fits all. And then you're letting the resident choose what he or she wants to do, and then giving them the space to do it as well. Yeah. What was like, kind of the biggest challenge? Was it logistically working out the time? Was it more of like the legal thing reporting it? And, you know, checking off like the requirements for a program? Was it getting resident buy in to kind of accept this? What were the big challenges? First, what we're learning is that you can try to implement a lot of things. And when something is new, people have to get some buy-in, like you're mentioning. Converting into pilot, and, and this actually, this project preceded this, but now we're doing a lot more pilots because then if it doesn't work out, then we can always just switch to another project, right? I think that the key part of this was to really make sure that there's buy-in from regulations perspective, that we are able to truly provide credit for the residents when they're taking on their asynchronous wellness credit. We want to make sure that the faculty is on board. And so we went to the medical director to get buy-in from that area, make sure that we have the support from their perspective that, hey, our residents are not just blowing off conference to surf, uh, here's the reasons why. Yeah. And then from the resident perspective, there's also that concept that we have to get them to really fill in some form. Like they're getting a lot of surveys already. So this is yeah. yet another <laughs> thing that they have to, to fill out. Like, as you know, you do a procedure, you have to, you not only do the procedure, you have to log it and, and get somebody else to sign off on it. So, so there's that aspect of it. And we also want to make sure that they know that it's a safe platform that we're not there to really micromanage how they're using the hours. And this is more of the form is for them to get credit and not necessarily for us to really keep track. Oh, so-and-so is doing X, Y, Z. It was actually more fascinating to read it at the end of the year, like all the many asynchronous credits that people were logging. Any kind of surprises once you look back at the end of the year, kind of what they were logging or what you learned throughout the process? Yeah. So again, I think that we knew that People will individualize the way that they would take on this asynchronous wellness credit. What we didn't really think of were things that normally I would consider as work. Like, again, that's showing up to teach EMTs resuscitation techniques. Like, some people would look at that as yet another thing they have to do as part of their academic work. But this resident actually took it upon himself to say, like, you know, 
I find value in this and log like tremendous amount of hours, not just like five hours, like way yeah. beyond the 12 hours. And the resident just kept on logging these, right? And and not to get any more credits, like again, like there's a cap after 12 hours, you don't really get extra credit, but it's it's the idea that people still take the time to continue logging because it makes them feel good. It makes them acknowledge that I'm actually taking care of myself and here's how I'm doing it. So it makes it more explicit as opposed to sometimes our calendar is full of to-do lists and we don't really recognize that we're also taking some moments to take care of ourselves. Yeah, totally. I like that kind of like keeping track of it as well and seeing, you know, at the end of the month, like, wow, I spent this many hours Actually, I'm doing something and I do have the autonomy and agency to pick where my hours go as well. And I think in residency, that's particularly hard because let's face it, like there's not a lot of, you know, autonomy and freedom to do what we want. Yeah, it's hard. We're fortunate in our departments that we're able to preserve Tuesday nights off, for instance. So that's, there's a lot of these asks that kind of happened all at once. And so we had to be strategic about it and also be mindful of of why we're doing it and and being true to really the mission here. The background about Tuesday Nights Off is that normally we have our journal club. So as you know, residency programs are expected to provide didactics and lectures on a weekly basis. And five hours is usually the number that you'll hear. We only have four hours of conference every week. And so we have journal club once a month on a Tuesday night. And it's a great way for everybody to come together to learn. Yeah. And one of the benefits of, of doing things like Journal Club is sometimes we do it at one of the faculty's home and, and sometimes we do it at an outside event and there's a social aspect to it. Oh, yeah. What we noticed is that people really gravitated towards this and it was not a lot of effort to set up. And so we were able to ask all three sites at Kaiser and Santa Clara Valley, as well as Stanford, to let the residents leave initially just for that one Tuesday night to now every Tuesday night with the intent of residents, like you said, don't have a lot of autonomy, but if we can at least give them one day a week that they know that after 6 p.m. they can have dinner with their friends, they can have journal club, they can create this sense of connection, then there's a sense of stability with with schedule. Because schedule is, as you know, is one of the most important things and I think in healthcare workers, especially in emergency medicine, where we're working different shifts. Yeah, totally. No, I love that. And I think some people overlook that fact, you know, just like you said, if you're, let's say, have that Tuesday night off, if you're like worn down, maybe Saturday or Sunday or Monday, you know that like, hey, I have a break in my schedule Tuesday, or I can call up a friend to be like, hey, can we go out? So just the idea that like, hey, there's light at the end of this, you know, week, I think that's very lifting and very positive, even for the days that precede it. And probably, of course, the days after as well. So I think that's like you said, a strategic placement. And it's nice because it sounds like it didn't take too much work in terms of like, hey, let's just go to somebody's house. We have the journal, you know, article to talk about. And then organically, I'm sure those social interactions happen. Yeah. I mean, logistically, there's there's cost to that, right? And that's why yeah. we need to clarify that with the ED leadership as well. I mean, they have to provide extra faculty to work solo with no residents. And so the argument that we use was that often in academics, many of the procedures are actually taken away from us because the residents are so good. They do all the procedures. And so over time, there's a decay in our skills and we can continue doing simulation, which is one of the things that we do in our department to really hone in our, our procedural skills. 
But also there's opportunities to, this is an opportunity for Tuesday nights and Wednesday morning during conference for faculty to schedule themselves to work so that whenever they take care of sick patients, they manage it themselves. They're very aware of the culture of the hospital as opposed to always just, I don't really know what's happening here. Let me ask the resident because they know a lot because they work so much of this nuances of policies and protocols. I think that's one of the wins for this because it really like it allows faculty to develop empathy for what the residents go through. As you know, there's there's something very specific about working in a very big academic institution that is just unique to our shop. And I think not going through that yourself, not figuring out how to put in the orders yourself, not figuring oh, yeah. out how to, where where the kits are to do your procedures. Yeah, it takes practice. Yeah, I remember I was on a, an elective ICU elective. And I wasn't like in a resident role. It was pure medicine. So I imagine what a lot of attendings do. And it was like incredibly enjoyable because I went in, I was like, here's a diagnosis. I pointed at the intern. I was like, you write up the note. Someone else, I was like, go get the kit. Someone else, I'm like, you go ahead and put in the orders. So to your point, it was like, wow, this is a a different experience. And I liked how you framed it as a win for the department as well. Because I think too commonly, I fear that sometimes it's just a quote win for the residents. And it's a detriment maybe to the attendings or to the program or to the patients. But I like framing it this way, saying like, look, the attendings do get hands-on practice. They get to refine their skills. They get to learn more about the system again. So I like framing it as a win-win. Yeah. And and I think in many of these interventions that we think of, we try to do that. I would be the first one to say that there's so many interventions that I've tried to launch that have failed, right? And often it comes to... I didn't ask every stakeholders. And and also there's the concern sometimes that you just have to start something because the more you ask, the more things are kind of thwarted or more things arise. And so there, there has to be a balance. And I think you have to be willing to fail in these interventions. So long as, again, your mission is is there, your, your objective is clear, which is you want to, in this case, we want to make sure that the resident's well-being is, is optimized. We've done changes with our schedule, for instance, and and one of the things that we're, we're looking at right now is Tuesday, again, because now that we know that we provide Tuesday night as their night off, it's often easier to use Tuesday as a default day off for residents. And eventually, when you look at the pattern, you'll realize that, you know, it's, it's actually not as fair for certain residents to just get Tuesday as their day off, because sometimes they would work Monday overnight, for instance. And so... Essentially, when they're after an overnight, you're really just sleeping off your entire Tuesday. So it's really not your day off. And so now our, our challenge this year is to figure out other ways of, of overcoming that. So yeah, I, I think there's there's wins. There's also some failures. And you have to be able to have open communication and discussions about how you would readjust that. At the very beginning of my work in this, I would feel personally attacked whenever things would not work out. And then I realized that people are just voicing their opinions. And, and if you look at it from that perspective, and it's a lot easier to then incorporate, like, what were the, the nuggets of truth in that feedback that I can then see how we can reiterate this pilot that I am trying? Yeah, I love how you use the words kind of like that. It's an iterative process and a pilot as well. I imagine when people hear that, it's like, okay, it's not going to be 100% optimized and perfect. We're learning as we go along. And like you said, the objective is kind of still the same. Yeah. And again, understanding the the stakeholders and and getting their input, I think it's helpful because I can come up with a lot of really fun things in my mind. And then it's a big plop when you're actually delivering it because I'm telling you, I'm I'm planning retreat for next week. And 
the resident, one of the chief residents emailed me. I was like, this is great, but have you considered that you're letting us out at two o'clock, two ten, and then you expect us to work at two? And it's like, oh, I don't think that's true, but let me double check, right? So, so sometimes like there's details that that you miss because some people are big picture planners, some people are the the detail oriented thinkers, and so I think you need to be able to combine them in whatever efforts you're you're trying to address. How do you find the the right balance between kind of engaging all the stakeholders and formulating something and going forward? I think trust. I think it took me a while to get there, but now at least from my perspective and my experience. People are used to me throwing in ideas and also being comfortable with failure and being comfortable with kind of redirecting things. And there are things that, so our, our book club for next week, for instance, is Loon Shots, how to deal with crazy ideas. And the premise being that not everything that we would try to launch will work. And they may not necessarily be true failures. It's just not the right time or the right group of people because it's not as individualized yet. But maybe when we talk about it and if we have moments to to sit down and chat about like what worked, what didn't work, then we're more likely to iterate it to be a lot more effective. So I can tell you that for the past couple of months, I've been excited about the retreat that we're planning for next week. And then just two days ago, I got emails from the chiefs with their questions. And and I'm so glad that they did that. And so the retreat in next week is completely different <laughs> compared to what I had in mind. <laughs> months ago and that's just the process right like if i'm not able to quickly adapt to that yeah they would be frustrated because from their mind it'll just be i'm forced to spend a whole day actually it's two days or one full 24 hour cycle over two days to do required things and none of this is for my wellness it's just another checklist that we have to do versus now i feel very confident that I have their buy-in, at least from the chief residence perspective. And there's eight of them, like giving me input, the ones that are leaving and also the ones nice. that are coming in to say like, you know, this is not working or I don't think this is something that we should do because the residents will not feel good about doing this. So I think getting that feedback was very valuable. And and on the side, I'm like, oh crap, like now we have to redo everything yeah. <laughs> and logistics, right? And true emergency medicine fashion, we try to make do. And, and I'll tell them yeah. like what I can do and what I can't do. I think it's important to also acknowledge that when you're doing this, you're not really just trying to please everybody because then eventually I'm going to be miserable and and I'm not going to be motivated to continue doing this work. What I've learned is I just tell them if it's something that makes sense, I'm happy to support that. And if it doesn't, I tell them the limitations and here are the non-negotiables that I was asked from higher ups that we have to do. And then together we can figure out other ways of, of making it work. And then I think that is the most important part of this, which is the togetherness, the connection that we just develop in trying to figure out this one task that we have to do. And so then we are a lot more proud when we're delivering the concept as opposed to just me rallying for one project that in my mind would be super cool. Now I have other people who's going to be excited about it and will be telling their classmates and colleagues to support it as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a trap when people think that one person is the embodiment of wellness. You know, like that person is the wellness guru. And and I think it's great that you got the buy-in from the residents. But talk a little bit more, like, how did you kind of foster that opening up kind of the lines of communication, making it okay that they came forward and totally changed the idea of this retreat? Yeah, so so that's tough. I can tell you that I don't always do well in this. And by me just saying that, I think acknowledges that. There has to be psychological safety whenever you're doing a project and allowing for feedback. And so initially, we've had different forums. Clearly, we have multiple meetings. 
this is all fresh. So I'm still trying to like work this out with you here. We have chief resident and program director leadership meetings. And because of COVID, there was a point that we were meeting every day and then we moved it to, I believe, every other day. And then now we're just doing once a week. And so there's definitely over the course of two months, they've had opportunity to say something. But somehow I got the sense that nobody is as engaged as I wanted them to be. And so on Monday, I believe it was Monday, I sent them an email. Hey, I'm getting nervous. This is the plan for Tuesday night. What do you guys think about that? And one chief resident, who I respect a lot, responded, I think it's a lot of ass that you're expecting us to read a book <laughs> for retreat. And then I was like, oh, this is great because now they're, they're engaging in a dialogue. And so I asked them, like, what, what was your expectation? What did you think we were going to do about this book club? And it's like, well, I just don't think that if we're working from 6 in the morning and you let us out from uh, at 5 p.m. and then expect us to present a book, like, that's not really a good use of my time. And it's not really helpful for my wellness. And I was like, that's right. Like, tell me more. And it was, then, then one chief resident added in the email. And again, like, this is not normally how I would have done it, right? Because I like to have this discussion in person or, or at least over the phone when everybody is quick to be able to say their answers. I try to avoid emails and communication. But again, there's for me, there's a sense of urgency. But I also respect everybody's working different shifts. And so I responded because people are getting more engaged in the, in the response. And another resident said, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's forcing us to, so again, there's words, right? So you have to kind of look into the words that they're using, like forcing us to talk about our successes in the in the year and in our struggles is not really as helpful. And we just want free time because in previous retreats, when we go to Asilomar, normally like we play volleyball together. We, there's just like free time to be on the beach. Like we don't have that. That's what we're yearning for. And it's like, that's right. Like, so how can we do that? All right, so then we're now we're asking, I'm asking more questions. And then I said, like, here's some expectations that at least, like, from my perspective, this was pulled from higher up. We need to think of strategic plan on how we can align residency program with the departmental objectives and mission. And right now, many of the things that we do are at cost. And so we need to at least find balance of making sure that the department is also going to benefit. And so I said, the reason why I chose Loonshot is because it's focused on innovation and our department is big on innovation and it really aligns with getting our residents involved with many of the innovative things that we're doing as opposed to the faculties working on innovative things and then the residents are just there benefiting. Now they're going to be part of the conversation. And so so that's built in, in into the retreat. And so now they understood. And then, of course, it made sense. Like, why are we doing it for an hour and a half on Zoom? This would have been great. Like, easily, this could be an hour and a half in person. But on Zoom, like, it's a lot to, like, spend time talking over a book. Oh, yeah. And also, I, I said, I don't actually expect you to read the entire book. I've assigned. So what I've done when, when I do book clubs with, with the residents is I assign the entire class. Or, or if I do it within the class, I assign a few people a chapter. And those people then just be in charge of, similar to, like, journal club, you just... Yeah. Talk about the key things that really struck you with that chapter and then start a conversation because the idea is that if we're all talking about key elements of the book, then at the end of the hour, we've read the entire book, essentially. At least you have enough of an understanding of, of what the book is about so that then you can you can read it on your own. And for, for, for the many, they're probably not, but at least they've got some, some information that, that they can get from it. So they're on board with that. And then we iterated the, the last hour because they're like, yeah, it's it still feels forced. 
So then I said, I don't know if you're going to like this, but what about if we ask like a piano guy, like a piano man to show up and then we can just have him like play music and you guys can do karaoke and ask. And, and I thought that was going to be a big flop because yeah, yeah. it's such a big program. And then people got excited. Like you can see them on they were responding. And then when we had our meeting yesterday on Zoom, people like lit up. And so I said, okay, well, if I don't hear otherwise, I will reach out to that person by the end of the day. And somehow like yesterday, I'm able to get somebody to play at eight o'clock next week using his piano and guitar and, and play nice. music. So, I mean, like, again, and that's just a very silly example, but I think it highlights how one project that I have in mind that I thought was going to be cool was going to be a big fail. And, and I'm actually, after this, I'm drafting an email to the entire residency again to let them know that, hey, uh, that's video. So I had this great idea, me and our coordinator, we love planning events. And we thought maybe an anesthesia, actually, Jan Patton has done something like this, like the TikTok video of doing something really funny and, and it involves some other people. And my thought was that if we can get every resident to participate, then number one, they feel excited about the about the retreats. And then if we can give them one object to pass to each other, it will be the book, Moonshot, so that they can actually ah, physically nice. pick it up from their mailbox. Because we got them the book. There you and go. what I, I didn't realize was that it was more work for the residents because many of our residents do not use TikTok yet. And for them, it's more, again, it's another homework for the retreats. And they were dreading it. And so when somebody shared that, I was like, well, that makes sense. I just thought, again, I made the assumption that uh, they're very comfortable with creating videos. And, and I was wrong. And I'm quick to say that. I'm like, hey, I'm wrong. You're right. And let's, let's trash that. Let's move on. Let's pick another event. Yes. So that's how I, I try to do things now in the department. Because, again, I think it's a lot easier to manage emotions that way their emotions it's also my emotions when it doesn't feel like everybody's attacking one project or one person because there is that sense like you said if if there's only one person really focusing on wellness then then that person feels a lot of burden in like in their shoulders and like trying to make sure that everything like plays out right what i'm learning is nothing really plays out right no matter how best my intentions are, some people will be alienated by, by a specific project. And I have to be comfortable with that. But I also have to be comfortable with getting their opinion and feedback as to like why it didn't work out and how can we change it so that they can feel included. Yeah, no, I love it. I love that being flexible as well, because obviously we've met other places where they have this idea of a wellness retreat and it's all good intention, but you know, it's like two years in advance and it's their conceptualization of what wellness is. And I love hearing like you're flexible, you're reaching out to the residents, you're open to hearing feedback. I am curious, obviously, like you see them light up, you see them engage over email, you see them like interact with one another at these retreats. Tell me though, like going to the higher ups in your department, if they are like, hey, you made a TikTok video, like what is this, right? So like, how do you kind of capture, I don't know if it's objectively, if it's in a metric or a survey, but like, how do you say like, yes, this is the good thing that we're doing. And this is a type of progress we're making. And then translate that and show the higher ups that like, this is a worthwhile endeavor. Well, perhaps we have to look at it two ways. If you're looking for money, then that's a specific ask, right? Many of these things that we're doing right now, it doesn't really cost money. And so from the leadership perspective, what I'm really grateful for is being in a department where we truly value our roles. And so 
my chair, as long as I'm doing something related to well-being, for instance, like will not micromanage the things that I'm doing for well-being. She will give me, she doesn't really do this. It's more of, why don't you consider this? Or like when we thought about the book club, like that was cost, right? So I have to ask for money for all the residents, all 62 residents to get a physical book. And so she just asked, what kind of book? Because I've never heard of this like book club thing with, with residents. And I gave options. And so I had them like, I listed like three, I think I listed three or two books that I thought something that we could talk about at retreats. And she actually said like, I'll leave it up to you. This is clearly a project that you're interested in doing. Just make sure that you include like the strategic plan so that our residents feel like included in the many things that we're doing, right? So that was a nice, clear guidance that, that she gave me. And the rest was on me. And so whenever we, I had meeting with my vice chair of education, she's like, LA is doing this. How are you doing? What kind of help do you need? And it's so what I asked him, like, I need you to give a talk about how can we align our electives with a strategic plan? He's like, sure, I'll be there. Happy to. And the same thing, like I reached out to the vice chair of strategy. I said, hey, we're going to be aligning the strategic plan with our residency program. I need you to give a big picture idea. And, and again, like he's engaged, he's involved. None of those require really money except for the books that I asked for. And so our department is very good with supporting that. I think when I asked, so Asilomar is very expensive, and that was a big ask. And so we had to submit a proposal of what our plans were and not show that our residents will just have like a totally free day in by the beach and not doing anything. We have to make it somewhat more focused on developing connections. And, and that was something that we incorporated. And hence why like now we're reiterating things again, because a retreat is going to be via Zoom as opposed to at Asilomar. Yeah, I like that balance. At least for our department, it's we're very fortunate. Like we'll have the time, the breakout time to be with, you know, family and we go skiing. Then there's a dedicated part of the day where it's like, okay, we need to talk about a wellness topic or we need to engage in something of substance, right? But I think there's enough time for both those activities to kind of let your hair down and then also to engage where the higher ups are like, okay, they're learning some quote skills that they could transfer back to the workplace. Yeah. As residents, obviously there's listeners who are residents. You're doing a lot. You're setting up the programs. You're going to higher ups. You're you're figuring out ways to kind of pitch this and, and package it and write the proposal. To the residents out there, like what can they do to kind of help someone like you? You know, I, I think that I'm, again, super grateful to be able to work with residents who have a lot of these big ideas. And I think... From my perspective, what I'm good at is connecting people and finding ways of making an idea into something like of an event, right? Like that's my specific skill set. So you can you can tell me about a problem and like my focus prior to residency training was on clinical operations. And so I like to make things better, faster in that environment. And so during the COVID, the very beginning of this COVID social distancing or physical distancing, a resident actually reached out to me and said, hey, I think we should create like a forum for us to just vent and talk about our experiences. And I was like, that's a great idea. And what she didn't know was I've already been reaching out to, I've been working with, at Stanford, we have the reflection rounds with the chaplain and it's for medical students, but I was invited once to participate in it. And it was a great event. Literally, you spend like an hour and a half listening to medical students share about their experiences in the wards, in the OR, and and things that we take for granted. And at the end of the day, like I felt really good about that just by simply being there. And so 
I've reached out to the chaplain and, and thinking of figuring out a way for us to do this during the pandemic. And actually the chaplain also independently has reached out to find out like what else can they do to help our departments. And so for me, again, I just connected the dots. I introduced people and, and now we're doing reflection rounds for residents. I think to answer your question, I think residents should not be super worried about their ideas. I think they should find ways of sharing them in the effort of making their place better. I think when you do that, you're in, you're more engaged. You feel like you're really doing something for your residency program as well. And to be creative with how they're approaching it, right? So if you think of it from the department's perspective, then you'll realize that, okay, well, I can't just ask them to give me, I don't know, I'm just making up a number here, $1,000 to do a launch session and meditation. But what if I do this? What if I get this person who has been doing this a lot and I just need them to like help me advertise it? Or or maybe they know somebody else who's going to be able to do work with this or maybe align it with research. Like, can we do there research in particular aspects? Or what we do in emergency medicine, there's a group that you're probably familiar with, Wellness Think Tank. Yeah. We academic medicine. And I think it was last year that they were highlighting like wellness fails and wellness successes. And so our residents were very excited about like pitching in ideas to submit to that. And then they get to also present it nationally. So it gives them a scholarly work and our department supports that because then it also makes our department look a lot more productive. So you have to find different ways of channeling that energy. Sometimes when you just say it, it doesn't come to fruition. If you email somebody and it, it doesn't stick, people just say like, you know what? Nobody cares. And this is a waste of my time. What I'm trying to say is that I think the more you talk about it, if you're truly passionate about it, somebody will be able to listen and then somebody will connect you to the right person that will actually make it work. And so that would be my advice. Get those ideas out. That's how you're going to be able to fix this. You, you can't possibly expect a non-resident to fix resident problems, right? But you need non-residents like faculty to be able to give perspective, to be able to give voice to many of these ideas that at the very beginning, it may sound a little silly or a little bit playful or it costs money. Yeah, no, I love it. That's great. At least in my experience, I remember in the OR, it gets pretty loud and like, it seems very silly, right? And so essentially I'm like, after 18 hours, I'm like, my ears are just ringing. So I brought this up to your point of just bring up an idea. And I brought it up to somebody in the OR and she's head of the QI and she goes, you know what? That could be a QI project. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, write up the proposal. This is patient safety because I know the research shows the louder it is, the worse patient outcomes, worse communication. So then we got time to do a quality improvement project. Like you said, that led to a scholarly activity. That led to me working with a mentor as well. That led to me writing it up. I was talking to people like you did, the chaplain and, and people who aren't, quote, under the wellness umbrella, but they could help me kind of further this idea. And ultimately, it's like, oh, pretty neat. I've met a lot of people. I did this scholarly work. I feel more engaged. And like, ultimately, it helps the entire department. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're giving a lecture about it, right? Somebody hears yeah. about it, connects you to the other person. And then, you know, you're doing a collaborative work. And now it's an, like a national or international work, right? So I love how you're using social media as well to reach and also create an impact for the work. Because that's how I've, especially in the past year, I've really truly leveraged social media because sometimes my ideas, like I said, like loon shots, it may not work here, but maybe other people can benefit from it. And then it's pretty neat when another program reaches out, it's like, hey, 
I heard about this thing that you were doing. How can we do it? And then now we are saying, well, why don't we do it together? And, or I'm happy to, to hear. I'll, I'll send you the slides that I did. That's how you create a community beyond just here at Stanford. And also, it's, it's exciting. I'm working right now with the Academic Life in Emergency Medicine and creating this idea of an all-EM graduation. Like, it's a cool thing. So it really, the main reason why this meeting started was we needed to create a residency conference across the country because many of the conferences were being canceled. And so we played with technology, we played with Zoom, we played with YouTube, and it was pretty effective, right? So then we said, like, well, let's try it again. So we did the Connect 2, and that was really fun. And then we said, why don't we, like, celebrate graduation? Like, it's it's completely different this year. And full disclosure, there's a lot of work and meeting and planning involved in the background, but it's been one of the most fun things that I've done since this COVID pandemic happened, right? It gives me purpose. And I, I get to connect with people across the country to figure out like how to create a graduation. Like we're connect, like we're reaching out to important figures in the country. And some of them are saying yes, like people that I never thought would even like acknowledge me if I like tweet them, right? I think we underestimate sometimes the impact that we have. And I, again, like I truly believe if your mission is clear, if you have a good, if you have good intentions and you're surrounded by people who are also like motivated, things somehow work out. And it may not be the thing that you initially envisioned, but the product is still something that you can be proud of. No, I love it. And, and that's like you're saying, the iterative process, just get started, reach out to people, people will help you. Yeah, it's very inspiring because like, I think it's great that you rely on the residents for input. You get input from all the stakeholders. You don't take it personally as well. And I think it's great too to hear about, like you said, like I failed many times or I started out with a project and it ends in a different way. And I think like whenever I read the journals or go to conferences, I think like, wow, this is like very well packaged and very well put together. Like it went off without a hitch, but I think it's like really interesting to hear like, oh no, this didn't work out well. This is how we did have to change. And what I tell people, is basically when I say, hey, about my program, it's not perfect, right? And I don't think any program is perfect. But I said, look, if there's something I see that I think needs to be improved, I can reach out to many people and we can have a discussion. And I think just the availability and you being open to listen to resident input, I think that's huge because they know that they can always like text you or tweet you or call you or email you, whatever. And you're willing to listen and be like, what can we do about this? I think that's key. And and I think... I'm saying this, and I'm I'm glad that we're having this discussion, more so for the residents now when they become faculty. Remember this moment that when you have faculty that's comfortable with sharing their mistakes, it actually feels good because it normalizes that you're really not alone when you make those mistakes. And so when you become faculty, when you become an attending, be that person. Because somehow something happens when you become an attending or you become the more senior person you're worried or, or there's this shame that you're trying to overcome that you're trying to prove to everybody else that you're really just as good as everybody thinks you are. And it's okay when, when you're not, it's okay to actually fail because nobody is really perfect, right? People say that a lot. It's easier said, but it's also not really hard to just share when you're making a mistake. Because what I've found is people are more likely to help me when I say I need help. <laughs> or I'm really struggling with this versus if I'm trying to show to them that I know what I'm doing when clearly I'm way out of, over my head and, and I have no right. idea what I'm doing. People are usually a lot more forgiving, especially, again, when you're surrounding yourself with people who cares. 
and don't get me wrong, like there will be people who will hate you and will not accept any of this and will think that this is not genuine. And that's fine. You have to be able to accept that. I think that's where the self-compassion comes in. But at the end of the day, I'm able to feel good that, you know, like we have a true mission here. We have a great cause that we're working with and I get to work with really, really cool people. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very uplifting. Totally agree. It's like in big departments, there's at least probably one person that you can reach out to or somebody at a huge hospital that you connect with. And even if that's not available, like you said, there are, you know, social media platforms that you can reach out to people that are probably going through similar things and projects and ideas. So you can reach out to them as well. Yeah. Or start sharing your own mistakes. I honest, so um, I've been giving this lecture for, gosh, eight, nine years now. And it started with a, a really one of the, the first big mistake I had in medicine. And it led to a really bad outcome. I was beating myself up for that for so long. And so I, I wrote a lecture about it. And I, I gave that lecture to my residency program in, in the Bronx one year. And next thing you know, like I'm giving this lectures now, like all over the country. I'm giving a national grand rounds on it. And it starts with one, one idea, right? Like it starts with this vulnerability moment and, and being comfortable with that. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, you know what? It doesn't take away the fact that I made a mistake. It doesn't take away the fact that it was a true medical error, but at least I'm able to process it better. I'm able to figure out like what I can do next time as opposed to just dwelling on that one mistake. Because there's going to be plenty more mistakes in medicine, and that's just part of our practice. And the more we're comfortable to talk about our mistakes, the more likely we can actually prevent future mistakes from happening again. No, exactly. And I think it's like you said, it's turning a quote negative into a positive. And the people who are listening to that lecture on a national stage, like they will think about their mistakes or they will think about how can we move on from the past to help the next patient as well. Yeah. Nice. Nice. LA, thank you so much. I think we'll wrap up. Thank you so much. That was great. Yeah, of course. I commend you for all the work that you do. I actually, I have your Twitter feeds alarm me because whenever you send something, it's something that's actually like, oh my God, like here's another paper that I need to read or really look into. So thank you for all of your work. If you got any value out of this, please consider doing one of three things. One, tell a colleague about this project. Two, sign up for the curated quarterly newsletter. Three, check out the book on Amazon. It's an easy-to-read, engaging how-to manual for trainees, supported by data and evidence-based solutions. 